Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. There's something really comforting and encouraging to me about reading a lot of the old health and fitness literature from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The language and manner of speaking is clear, direct, and concise, and people don't talk like that anymore. Then when you actually begin to read what they are advising and recommending, it's better information than what 90% of the mainstream health and messaging puts out today. Principles, not methods, grace the pages of these old texts by giants like Hackenschmidt, Sandow, Blakey, and Friedrich Ludwig Jahn, to name a few. But exercises that have all but disappeared since the creation of the squat rack and other more efficient pieces of equipment are starting to show up in certain corners of social media. My guest today is Grayson Strange. Grayson is a husband, father, gym owner, and strength enthusiast. He recently dove into the world of old-time strongman training and has yet to look back. Today, as we catch up, we talk about those movements and why they are so beneficial even when many would see them and call them quote-unquote dangerous. We also dive into the internal strength model Grayson has been using in teaching and how it's brought down his total time spent training but yielded PRs and many lifts while his recovery is better than it has been in years. So enjoy this episode of the Nomad Strength Show with Grayson Strange. And we've got Grayson Strange joining us today. I was this is the second Hello. time I've done this intro because we've had some tech <laughs> issues today. Um, it's okay, but, you're just getting better honed. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> practice. Uh, but Grayson, if you guys have listened long enough, was one of the first five episodes. I think it was number three. Uh, so it's and we were just talking before. We're about to be one seventy. And there's been all kinds of stuff happening for both of us in that amount of time. So we needed to sit down and record again to catch up. Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, so to start there, last time we talked, you guys were just getting ready to move across the country and literally like full-fledged across literally. the country, uh, California yeah. to New York and start the new gym back in New York State. And so first of all, how's everything with that been going? Everything's been great. I literally, I can't believe it's been that long. That's so funny, man. <laughs> but yeah, trip across country with the two kids. We, you know, moved into the house, built the gym down in the basement and uh, have been, you know, training people here and online and trying to grow the online side and everything's great. We're about to get into winter number two in upstate New York. So how you know, is it? <laughs> Were you guys near the snowpocalypse? Like how close are you to where that was near Buffalo a couple of weeks back? We're, we're like, Four and a half hours from Buffalo. Oh, so so not we, that close. okay. So it wasn't that they get the, like the crazy lake effect snow, but like last week and prior to that through like all of fall was like way warm 
compared okay. to normal. Like last week, it was like we had highs in the high 50s and it was still raining. And then the weekend hit and we got a snowstorm on Sunday. And like I woke up Monday morning and it was eight degrees outside. I was like, oh, there's there's winter. <laughs> Winter's here. <laughs> so now, now it's snow. It's, we're yep. supposed to get another blizzard this weekend, like <laughs> between... 10 and 18 inches or something. So, you know, it's, I was looking at those pictures and some of the videos from that thing in Buffalo a couple weeks back. And like a guy, those one was like a guy was opening his garage door from inside and it's like halfway up and there's still a snow wall as the thing's opening up. It was like seven feet or something like that. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It's hard to believe. I mean, it's, it doesn't get quite that bad here, but I will say like when we moved here, Sarah's my, my wife, Sarah, yeah. uh, her parents first present to us was a snowblower. So apparently that's, that's like, that's what know. you give somebody when they move here, you give them a snowblower, especially when they're coming from California. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, too funny, man. Well, uh, we were yeah, talking man. a little bit before. Um, one of the things I wanted to, to talk to you a lot about because it really kind of started, it started around the time you and I talked and started connecting was this like really sort of obsession and pursuit of all of this old time strongman strength movements and exercises and stuff. Cause you do a ton of them. And like I said, I've had since our first conversation, I've had Lucas, uh, range of strength on, I've had James Fuller on James did my, I was telling you, James did my programming for, I think like three or four months leading up to my first jujitsu tournament. And so, right. uh, like, it's such a fun, and that was like that's the descriptor I use all the time because it's so different. Just the movements and the training becomes so much more fun doing this kind of stuff. And so, was that yeah. how you? I mean, is that kind of like how you experience it when you started messing around with all this stuff? It's like because you get in there and you're trying like all these weird movements. You're like, I have no idea what I'm doing or how this is supposed to feel. And there's like I find when I suck at something like that, I'm like, I, this is fun. Cause I really want to like dive in and get better at this. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was funny, like getting into the first, I just got into like modern traditional strongman training, yep. you know, not like the, the old school bronze age stuff, just right. like at our, at our gym in California, you know, we started doing yoke carries and farmers carries and sandbag stuff and Atlas stones. And I got really into it. And I, what I started to realize about it was like, I liked the, the demand outside of your classic, you know, powerlifting stuff. Like I went from CrossFit to Olympic weightlifting and I just got burned out on it. And that was at a time when my body was just like, literally felt like it was falling apart. So I just had to back away from it. That's how we got into the FRC stuff. And when I started getting back into doing more strength work, the strongman was appealing because it was new and exciting. Mm -hmm. And I liked the idea of like, you know, I mean, when I first saw somebody pick up an Atlas stone, I was like, that's bad for you. You're rounding your back under load. <laughs> right. And then I got into it. And I was like, no, maybe this is cool. Like maybe I can build resilience in that position. And so that that's, I think that was the initial appeal. And then like, like you said, I, the first time I saw somebody do a bent press, I was like, I want to do that. I don't yeah. think I can do that. And I tried it and I was like, oh my God, I can't even make my body get in that shape. You know, like exactly. don't even worry about lifting weight there, just actually making that position happen. And so that was really appealing from the standpoint of just like, wow, I really am far away from doing this. But like, if I can get my body to do that, I feel like I will have made a big change in my mobility and, you know, just mm-hmm. movement options. Right. And then mm-hmm. I just continued down the rabbit hole now. Well, and then like the only time you ever see like the bent press, for example, I'm trying to, because I mean, I had seen it done very infrequently. Like I can maybe count on one hand the amount of times before I like really started following James, right? Like he was right. kind of like my my gateway into a lot of that stuff. Like I'd known what it was, but not any, in any sense where I could know why I'm moving a certain way in the position. But then like the only time prior to that, like it all looks like some like old time cartoon of some like illustration of a guy doing like, that's the only time I'd ever seen it outside of that. And then like they're talking to like, we're talking to James and going through this whole thing. Like, all of these other exercises that are all named after some guy, right? Like that's almost all of them. Like there's, right. <laughs> it's all got some dude's name and it's like the, you know, the hack lift or it's like all these other uh, versions of a barbell lift. And one of the things that I loved about it because of just how my setup is here at the house, like I don't have a, a squat rack for anything. Mm. And so that was like what was super appealing because James is like the whole point of this is like you don't need one. I mean, we're going to use like I'll, we'll, all these different lifts have all these different ways of getting a bar to your back without you ever needing a lift. And you're going to get ridiculously strong and way more mobile because of how you have to get it to your back. If you're like for a back squat purpose. So that right. was like the super appealing 
part of it to me. So like when you were starting to mess around with this, there's the bent press, but like what were some of the other ones that like you wanted to, because the hack lift was one for me. Cause I'm like, how does that even make sense? Leverage wise, having the bar behind you and trying on to your toes. Lift. Exactly. Ugh. Like that can't be, you can't be strong in that position. Right? Like that was where I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me too. Like, of course the, I mean, I, I sort of pulled the bent press at the top just because yeah, all of the demands on your spine, your shoulders and your hips. I feel like, you know, the, the worthy pursuit, whether you want to bent press or not, if you can get your body to bent press, like you're going to have a, a really good, uh, level of capability that really transfers across most things. But like yeah. seeing somebody do a Kelly snatch for the first time, you know, oh, the one where you're snatched behind you. I mean, I remember the, <laughs> when I tried to do that with a 45 pound bar and it like, it literally wouldn't go up. I was like, I don't even know what I'm trying to do. Like I see this picture and then I put my hands on the bar and then I black out. Like, I don't even know what's going on (laughs) or like the Arthur lift where you pull it, you do a hack deadlift, but low back and then you bump it up your back and then get it overhead. I mean, that was another one where I was like, what? I want to do that. It's, you know, it's like, it's, it just, I mean, so many things about it, like the shock factor of it. I think that's cool. Right. Cause people, people just see it and they're like, right. That's terrible for you. That's so dangerous. And it's not, it's just unfamiliar, you well, know, that's and what I was like, going to ask you about like, what's the, I mean, you, I mean, I can't imagine with how much you post them. Like I did it for a little while when I was in the middle of it, but how much you post them, that's gotta be maybe 70, what 70% of the comments. Like, Oh dude, you shouldn't be doing that. That's going to like, from people yeah, who just have I mean, no idea. So what's like the response to that? How do you usually have those most of the response is either, I mean, between like between the old time strongman stuff and the, the FRC style training where like I'm loading spine flexion really hard. I'm, I'm like loading shoulder internal rotation in really heavy ways. You know, most of the, I mean, for the people who, who are familiar with it and get it, they're like, Oh, this is awesome for the people who've never seen it though. The, the classic response is like, boy, I can't wait to talk to you when you're older, you know, have fun being in a yeah. wheelchair, like the, just the classic <laughs> admonishments. Like even the post that I made today, I was like, you know, please spare your admonishments or people are just like, <laughs> why would you, why would you do that? Why would you do the Kelly snatch when there's all these other exercises that you can do? And mm-hmm. you know, for me, the response is like, because this is the thing that I want to do. I'm not doing a Kelly snatch or an Arthur lift for a lot of transfer to other stuff necessarily. I'm doing it because I want to do that lift. In fact, a lot of my training I do is geared towards being able to do that stuff and like feel good, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, the, once I can, depending on if somebody leaves a nasty comment, I just, I ghost it. I don't even pay attention to it. But if somebody <laughs> asks like a legitimate question, like, why are you, why are you doing this? That I'm happy to explain it. And usually people are like, Oh, that makes sense. You know I mean? I just use the same analogy. Like yeah. you don't do a clean and jerk or a snatch because you're trying to make your shoulder work better, right? Like you're, you enjoy doing Olympic weightlifting. Maybe you compete like that's, it's the thing you do the thing because you like it, you know, Mm -hmm. that's why. So I think that seems to make sense. I think more so is just the shock factor of people are like, you're holding a bar up behind you (laughs) over your body and you're bent over in half. Like that doesn't seem like a good idea. People are just seeing the, the, (laughs) the next, what, what, what they imagine is going to be the bar going over your head, snapping shoulders off the, (laughs) off the hinge basically. Yeah. I mean, it, cra- it cracks me up though. Cause like when I first saw the Kelly snatch, I thought the same thing. I was yeah. like, damn, that looks dangerous. But having snatched traditionally for a long time and then done the Kelly snatch. Now I'm, I'm completely swayed the other way. I'm like, actually bailing on a Kelly snatch is way easier. Like your elbows don't mm. bend the same way you can in a t- traditional snatch where the bar can fall straight on top of you. It's just like, it doesn't pass through. It either falls in front of you or behind you. Mm. So despite the fact that it looks terrifying, it actually might be less sketchy than doing well, a real but, snatch. But the other thing too is like the <laughs> the risk factor that that tends to be what people use as a reason not to do something as if that doesn't exist in every lift ever anyways, right? Like exactly. it's, it's all about how you've built the capacity to perform that lift. And, and like cause how many people do you know go up and have never trained a deadlift, just a regular deadlift, or anything, you know, and, and have poor setup, poor tension, poor mobility already, don't know how to brace whatever it is and just yank it right off. And I mean, like that's, Dude, there's totally. no more risk to that than there is any of these other things. If you train it. I mean, exactly. That's the key, right? If you train it, I mean, I, and I, when I was making this post today, cause I was doing some spine flexion stuff, you know, I was like, this is, I, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was training, I was like, it's so funny that people will not bad an eye if somebody's bending their hips and knees under load like you see somebody do a 400 pound squat and you're like yes bad ass nobody's like that's bad for your knees most people right it's <laughs> right. bad for your hips 
do you see a spine bend under load and people are like, Oh, you're going to die. You're going to be in a wheelchair. And you're like, this joint bends and this joint bends and all adapt to training and load. Like what's the difference, right? It's more so people hurt their back because they just never train it. I mean, I always laugh like, okay, I'm 39. I've been lifting weights since I was like 15 consistently. Mm-hmm. And the majority, hi buddy, <laughs> the, the, the times that I've been hurt were not training. The times I really hurt my back the most frequently was like, I just bent over in some weird way to pick something up that wasn't even heavy. And I was like, right. my back would literally go out. And I was like, it just cracks me up, you know, for all of the admonishments about training being dangerous. Like, honestly, people are getting hurt picking up their groceries in a weird way. You or, know, like that's that's way more one, common. Or the one that I think is like the most in, is running, just the most injury prone <laughs> yeah. exercise that it, that like I think it's studied or whatever. Like there's uh, however many numbers of people get hurt literally just running. And that's Dude, supposed to be the I know. That people pres- like that people prescribe that. More this than is your entry to fitness, right? <laughs> Start running. It's like, right. you th- I mean, it's funny because if you think about running seems innocuous for most people, but when you think about what you're doing, like if you're able to go jog for 20 minutes, you probably just did, I don't know, 5,000 reps like yeah. on your knee and ankle and you haven't been doing any physical exercise stuff. Like that's a lot of reps yeah. <laughs> that might so, cause some problems. So, and, and this makes me think too, and I'm curious when you're, when we're talking about prepping, because I there's always this pendulum that in, in all things in fitness where like there's the people that live on the extremes of each side of a pendulum. Right. And so there's this, there's this question about like preparing angles, preparing joints, preparing your body to do a lift versus like doing that lift without preparing. Right. But then there's sure. the people who are like, you you shouldn't even do any type of uh, loaded squat if you can't air squat with perfect form. Right. Totally. So like, uh, where do you, like have those distinctions and how do you like actually and like use that when you're putting together a program for somebody? Like, is it that specific sometimes where maybe it's probably just dependent on the person, right? Where maybe you shouldn't be loading yet, but loading actually has a lot of benefit to it, even at the very beginning stages. Yes, totally. Yeah. I mean, um, that's a great question because this is something that comes up so often. And I, I think like, I mean, obviously, like we, we look at Instagram or whatever social media platform you're on and, and the extremes are the things that you always see, right? Like I totally see that where people are like, or people's impression of, of FRC is like, you just do mobility training and you're super strict. Like you won't let anybody do a squat until they have this huge list of accomplishments from a mobility standpoint. And of course that's like, that's really extreme. I don't, I don't know anybody in the FRC world who's actually doing that, you know, but we do have a level of assessment that you look at, like, especially if it's somebody who's in pain, because that's a big difference. You know, like if I have a young person who just wants to start working out, like we'll still do an assessment and maybe they don't have awesome hip rotation. Maybe they have some limitations there, but unless it's like completely missing, we're going to squat. We're going to do that stuff. We're just going to train those other components. Right. And that's pretty much what happens no matter who the individual is like on the far extreme of the going the other direction. Like my dad, who we train three days a week, he's got bone on bone arthritis in his hip. And when we started training, he literally had no internal or external rotation. His hip was so tight that he couldn't even put his hip into flexion. Like 90 degrees of hip flexion was impossible. Yeah. And so that's somebody who he doesn't need to squat, right? We're going to spend the majority of our time trying to get that, that, that joint back just so it can do the minimum of what that joint is supposed to do. But yeah. So looking at that, like as far as the assessment goes, if I can look at somebody's hip rotation and they have some, maybe they don't have enough of what I would like to see for the things they want to do, I will have them train, but in a much lesser volume of squatting. And that's kind of part of this internal strength model anyway. Like we're trying to do the minimal amount of volume on muscular work anyway, because we want to get adaptations across joint capsule space and connective tissue and other stuff that you're training in each session. Yeah. And so we're still doing a minimal amount of that anyway, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Like for somebody's shoulders, you know, like if somebody has external rotation that stops here, yeah. if I'm just looking at external rotation and they can't get their arm here, I will tell that person, it's not going to do you a lot of favors to try to press directly overhead. We're right. still going to press. I might just have you set up on an incline, incline. so you're staying within yeah. your active range of motion. I mean, to me, that that's what makes the most sense, right? Like, if you're going to load something heavy and you're going to lift weights, do it within your active range of motion. And 
simultaneously train the range of motion that you want more of. Like, you know, this like comes back to the hanging is good for your shoulders. I completely agree. Hanging is really good for your shoulders, but you need to have a base level of capacity in your Mm -hmm. shoulders. Like if your shoulder external rotation stops here actively and you hang, your arm's going to get into this position, but at what sacrifice, right? Like, Mm -hmm. are you putting stress on your shoulder beyond what it can tolerate? Are you just forcing your spine into more extension? I mean, there's all these ways that your body accomplishes tasks if one piece isn't there, but Typically, that's the thing that starts to fall apart over time when you're making it do something that it doesn't quite have the capacity for. And, and all of those things can be trained at the same time. So I like to think I fall sort of in the middle of like, yeah. I, I rarely tell people like, don't squat. Right. Sometimes it's let's squat to a different depth. Let's try a different option for squatting, right? There's a million variations of a squat. You can almost always find one that's going to work. I mean, if anything, like we can push a sled, that's less range of motion. It's still loading all those muscles. Yep. And that gives us, you know, then we can still train the the capacities that you need to do a deep squat if that's what you want to do. And I, so. I, I think I had messaged you because you had posted a video one time of you training your dad. And because it was funny, because I literally, it was, I knew it wasn't in that moment, logically, obviously. I looked at the video and I thought it was my dad. And I'm like, really? like they look the same. Like they have the that's same, funny. they have the same kind of look. And, but you guys were doing like hip stuff with him. And I can't remember if I had told you or not, but my dad had uh, a full hip replacement last year around this. That's time. right. Yeah. And so he, we were at that time when I'd seen that, he was like just getting back into very little, you know, and it's crazy how fast they can get back into um, things after those kinds of surgeries. Like he was supposed yeah. to be, you know, he, he kind of went overboard and did a little bit too much too quick in the first, like easy to do. Exactly. But it wasn't hurting. And so that's why he was thinking, he's like, Hey, this is, is actually a lot better than I thought, but he ended up getting sore, but using those things to, uh, gradually increase that capacity. And I was curious too, because that's like, uh, I mean, that's not a real hip essentially. Right. So like, how do you, how do you manage that with how he's recovering and stuff is such a crazy thing, but he was doing a lot of the, um, just like the, the fire hydrant movement type, uh, Oh yeah. Slow hip cars type stuff from a, like a super controlled, sometimes standing, sometimes like on an all fours type position. And he was like, this is like brutally difficult for how little movement this actually is. I'm like, yeah, I know it's it's crazy how much that can help. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it kind of works the same, like to a joint. I've had a few people with hip replacements. I had a guy actually who had a double hip replacement done. He had it done at the same time. Holy cow. And that was when I was doing, when I first got into doing FRC training. So of course, you know, we focused on like regaining fundamental hip movement, which is rotation. And man, he, he was back to doing like 270. This, this is a dude was a monster. He was in his fifties when he had this hip, repl- both hip replacements done. Um, but we were doing back to like, 275 box squats to parallel and like, damn, I want to say it was like four and a half months. He was back squatting that much again. So he came back strong. Like we didn't squat for months, but, and we had a really good amount of time just training like fundamental hip movement, but it was crazy to see how fast he got back to it. I mean, even my dad, man, like when we first started really hitting the FRC stuff hard, cause it was hard to get him to really just, he's just not into training. Like he has no desire to train, but when it got to the point where he couldn't sit without pain, that's more, more motivating. Right. And when he went to the doctor to have his hip looked at, he was like, Oh yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're like, your femur is like sitting against your acetabulum. Like there's no, there's nothing there. It's completely stuck. The only fix is surgery. And so he's telling him about FRC stuff and what he's doing for training. And, and the surgeon was cool. He was like, well, why don't you try that for a while and see if it gets better? If it gets better, like it's not going to get any worse. Just you know, it's more now about how much pain are you in? And within, uh, probably it was, it was out of everybody that I've worked with in the last six years, this was the hardest I've had to really see some noticeable changes as far as range of motion goes. Um, but in about three months he got back to like, he has, you know, maybe six or seven degrees of internal and external rotation, like cold in the morning. And, and he has no pain anymore. Like he's doing yard work. He can go Mm -hmm. shovel. He can, sit, stand, climb stairs. Like he's totally functional as far as what he considers what he, how he wants to be. And I mean, to me, I was like, man, that's amazing. Like to go from, you are in so much pain, you can barely move to, and this joint is shot, right? This joint is never going to come back from where it is 
still being able to get that thing to, to a point where he can like live his life and not have surgery. That's, you know, it's pretty inspiring to see yeah, that. It's like awesome. you can, so you can do a lot, right? Like your, your body has a mechanism inside it to make physical changes, right? You just, if you can guide the, the biology to do that, you can make changes at like any level. I mean, even when your, your joint is, you know, flat tires and rusted out, like it still, still works. <laughs> right. The, the one that always, uh, that I, that I find super interesting as far as how you train it, because it makes sense to me when we're talking about training, like your spine, cause you do tons of like spinal training and, and yeah. work on that in different rotation and, and bending and flexing, extending all that kind of stuff. I imagine that's usually one that because of what it is, you get maybe a little bit of pushback, at least initially, but what are, how are you approaching the spinal thing? Or at least like explain to me how, how it works, how you train it. Because like, it makes sense to me like to lift, like to deadlift, right? Like we're, if we're deadlifting, we're bracing, we're, we're squeezing, whatever. We, we want to stay rigid in that moment. Right. But I understand the need to be strong in a rounded back and, and, and rotating and over, but like training that is really difficult to understand for a lot of people. Like how do you actually train that? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, of, of course, like, again, like I, when I talk about all of, all that I know and pursue training wise is like all of the, all of my understanding from learning about functional range conditioning and just spending all my time working and training that for myself and for all my clients. Cause that's, that's all I do is FRC based training of, and traditional strength stuff that's following now what they call their internal strength model, right? Which is like FRC's approach to developing high level physical capacities of whatever those are. Like you want to do athletic stuff. You want to do your strength sports, you're a ballet dancer. Like there's a, a path that you can follow for all of these physical endeavors. So that's my, that's all in my brain right now. So when it comes to a spine or any joint, cause it's all the same, right? Like you look at what is a healthy spine supposed to be able to do? Well, the number one thing that a spine needs to be able to do is flex and extend. That's the fundamental movement. Like in a hip, a hip has all of this stuff it can do, right? Flexion, abduction, adduction, linear movement. Fundamentally, it needs rotation because that's what indicates there's space for that bone to move around in that socket. So with a spine, flexion and extension is what illustrates that there's space between your vertebrae because space between the vertebrae is what you need for all spine movement. Flexion and extension, but also lateral flexion and rotation. We need that. So you can look at somebody's back and say, can you flex your spine? You look at somebody's just shape that they make and you'll, everybody, I mean, even my spine now that I've been training it forever still has areas that I'm trying to get more movement out of. But ideally we just have like this lovely, nice, even rounded back, but everybody's got, maybe their thoracic spine is super round and they go down to their lumbar and it's flat. So right off the bat, you're like, I can see you have less ability to move inflection at your lumbar spine. And the goal would be long-term, we want to get a relatively even movement everywhere. And so when we start looking at how do those parts move, then we look at spine segmentation. And that's just your ability to move essentially a vertebrae at a time going through flexion. So instead of just rounding your back, you're trying to start with your back round and you're starting from the bottom and slowly curving your spine one way through flexion and then back through extension. And that's kind of the baseline that we want to develop. We want to develop segmentation because it's also going to show you areas where your brain doesn't have as much control over movement. You'll see it where people try to segment yeah. and they're like, I, my thoracic spine is moving all together. Like I can't segment yeah. it. Everybody has this when they first start training their spine. And so that's kind of the starting point. We want to make sure that we can get that thing to flex and extend in the areas that we want. And the way that we start training those is kind of the entry points are things like passive stretching and then isometrics at a low intensity. And then you, you know, we, Every time we do some work on it, you passively stretch, you do isometrics it's called pails and rails. Um, then you move it afterwards. So you're just helping your brain understand this ability now to move that area a little bit more than it could before because your tissue's elastic. You can stretch it, you can load it in its end range, and then it moves a little bit more. That's temporary. But when you do that repeatedly over time, it becomes the cells change in a way that they just do that movement without needing to be warmed up to do it. I, I think one of like the more encouraging parts for people to understand is even if you're in a position, uh, cause I know that one of the, especially spine, right? Like I imagine you see 
maybe probably everybody at this point have like some everybody myself included yeah me too like rounded forward because we're on phones we're at desks we're typing we're driving like there's just this this is kind of like where people live now is in this little bit forward position but given the amount of time and i mean like a cumulative time doing these things like that stuff can actually change and improve it's not like oh my back's rounded forward now i just have to work around it like you can actually like improve those functions and positions there yeah totally i mean you know like uh, i mean there's a whole lot of um stuff out there training wise about posture right like posture to some degree has to be under your control. And a lot of the time it's not under your control just because we repeat the same posture so often that that just becomes our baseline. Like if you want to stand up straight, if you try to stand up straight, you'll probably be able to change your posture to some degree. You are going to be limited overall though. Like if your thoracic spine has no ability to extend and it's really stuck there, even when you try to extend it, it won't extend beyond where it can physically move, right? Like that tissue can only contract so much in the back. And if it doesn't go any more than that, despite your best efforts of trying to stand more upright, you're probably going to get that movement elsewhere. That's where the really specific training comes in. But for people who are, you know, are like, I have this forward head posture. It's like, well, we need to train all that tissue. We need to make your spine move better, but you also just need to be more aware of it because you could have a really mobile spine and still sit forward like this. Right. So it's kind of the posture thing is twofold, but you know, our tissue, all of our tissue, our muscle tissue, our connective tissue, our bone tissue is malleable, right? Like, you know, if you, I mean, you know, I don't know it would be an extreme example, but like if you just put like a 80 pound weight on your arm and you just left it on your arm for like three months, it would start to change the shape of your bone, right? Like right. braces move your bone tissue around. All of that stuff changes. It just happens at a, on a time scale that seems like it doesn't ever change. You know, you get somebody in here who has like no cervical flexion in their neck and they have crazy headaches all the time because their head is stuck like this. When you get in there and try to train it, I mean, it feels to them and looks like, how could that ever change? It's so tight. Like your neck literally doesn't do this. It can't, you can't pull your chin back, but with frequency, just like everything else, it does. I mean, drastic changes. Like I can't remember if I told you about this guy that I, this is when I first started doing FRC training. Um, he was a, a client's a client that I've been training for a while. Uh, his brother had an accident. He's a farmer. He lives in Costa Rica. He was basically having gutters cut like custom gutters built and loaded onto his truck to go help his daughter build his house. Okay. This huge, like 400 stack of gutters that are, they aren't sealed at the end. So it's just like freshly cut metal started to slide off his truck. And just without thinking, he put his arm out to try to stop it. Well, this 400 pound stack of razor blades essentially hit his arm and completely severed his forearm. I mean, it cut through the bone, the flesh. It was literally hanging on by threads of tissue. Oh my goodness. So he gets, airlifted to Spain. He undergoes a ridiculous, you know, like 25 hour surgery. And then like another 20 hours, this is like 45 hours of surgery. When I met him, it had been a year and a half. So he had pretty much healed and he had finished his his physical therapy. And it was his right hand, which is his dominant hand. And he had like a literally like a gnarled claw for a hand. Like they saved his arm. Like it wasn't, they didn't, they they reattached it. I mean, he had, Holy cow. Mo- it was like, the, and that's basically what the doctor said that they were like, look, you did your PT, your arm is attached. Like you should be so grateful that you even have an arm, learn how to use your left hand. And he's like, I'm a farmer. He's he does contracting. Like he needs, he can't, it just, he needs both hands. Mm-hmm. And so when I met him his, after physical therapy, he could, this was as close as he could get his index finger and thumb. Like okay. if he tried to contract it, they just, that was it. And his other fingers were curled up like that. And I was about two months after my FRC certification, which was a time where I was like, I'm completely overwhelmed by all this. Mm. Everything that I've been doing before this is wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I know some anymore. of this stuff. So <laughs> I, I don't know anything anymore. I, I, so I basically told him, I said, here's what I know now. I don't know if this will work. It makes sense. We should try it. Let's just try it and we'll see what happens. And so we did like a two hour long session. And all I knew was, you know, this guy's got a lot of scar tissue in his hand and it doesn't move. So if we need to get movement there and we need to train that stuff, the first thing we got to do is like, we need to passively stretch it. We need to be able to get that tissue to move passively first. Mm -hmm. So we passively stretched each finger for like probably 10 minutes each. I mean, we spent 40 minutes like passively stretching, holding those stretches until we got some movement out of it. And then I had him start doing isometrics, literally like he's trying to bend his finger back and resist it. 
at whatever level he could. And in a two hour long session, he was able to touch his index finger and thumb together. And he's like, I couldn't do that in six months of PT. This is amazing. I was like, yeah, I can't believe it either. This (laughs) is crazy. (laughs) Um, and so I, you know, I made him a video of, of just going through the training of what I wanted him to do. And he was super diligent. He did that stuff every day. And I saw him a year later, he came back to visit when we were still in California. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing he did was he walked in the gym and he put his hand out and he shook my hand. And he's like, look, he's like, I can use my hand again. He's like, it's not perfect, but like I can open and close my fist. I can pick things up. I can work. And he's like, I, he did. I mean, he spent, he probably spent 35 minutes a day training it for a whole year. But in that year, like it was the difference between him having a hand that worked and didn't. So, I mean, after that, I was like, Mm -hmm. even worst case scenario, like this, the right training has a huge impact. You know I mean? My dad's hit worn out. He's fine now. Um, it's, it's cool. It's cool to see that. Like everything is changeable basically. So, So neurologically and like physiologically, what's happening there? Like, why is that working when you do that passive versus like the resisting stretch? Why does that actually change what's happening after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers if we've learned anything it's that there's always a catch so when i first heard that mint mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month i thought what's the catch but after talking to them and using their service it all made sense there isn't one mint mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, we have these qualities, right? We have passive movement and active movement. Like if my finger extends this much actively, that much passively, passively is just a, an assessment of like, does that tissue even move? Can it stretch? Right. Can it contract? Cause if it doesn't have any passive movement, it's going to be terrible at both. It's not going to stretch. It's not going to contract well. And that's, that's basically like what scar tissue is. Scar tissue is just a cell that has like no collagen fiber in it and it sucks at stretching and contracting. And we need to change that into a cell that moves more like a really good functioning cell has more collagen fiber and it stretches and it contracts. Well, that's the main difference. And your cells turn into one or the other of those based on how they're loaded. So like you get your arm cut off and then you have a year where your hand doesn't move. If your elbows in a cast bent at 90 degrees for three months, Essentially, all of those cells all over that aren't moving are being told, you don't need to move as much as you can. And your body's number one, or your brain, body, whatever, I don't know if we should mm-hmm. separate it, but it's, it's number one thing is like is conservation of energy. So yeah. if it has a whole bunch of cells in some part that aren't being used at all, your brain's like, sweet, this is a waste of energy to maintain these cells at this level. I'll let those cells start to change into scar tissue cells. And it's, they don't move. That saves energy. That's, I'm doing my job of conserving energy. So that's pretty much what happens from a passive standpoint, or just when you take away movement, right? You just, your body's like, change this into a non-moving thing. So when it comes back to loading it, if you have these cells that uh, don't have any movement capacity, 
just loading them and making them work doesn't really work, right? Like if I have a cell that passively can't be stretched, I can't expect that I'm going to be able to do much work with it actively. So we need to reestablish that passive component. That's kind of like the fundamental thing you need. You need to get that passive movement there. Once you get the passive movement, we don't want just passive movement, right? It's kind of like when you're super bendy and flexible, it means that you can get into positions easily that your body can't load, right? You can't, Mm. you can't develop force there. You can't absorb force there. So it's not good to just be really, really bendy. We want to have strength in those positions. And that's where those isometrics come in. Right. So over time of passively stretching and loading that tissue with those isometrics, and there's all, of course, there's other stuff we can do. We can do eccentrics. We can do, you know, ballistic stuff. You can, you can really target specifically what you want that tissue to do because sometimes we need it to do, does it need to contract really fast? Does it need to absorb a ton of load in its end position? Um, you start to get these change, the cells start to change over over time. And then you get cells that over enough time and enough stimulus there, you can have, you have new cells there and you can have a completely different area than what you had before, right? That might have now all these cells that have a lot of collagen fiber and they're really bendy and stretchy and they contract well and Mm -hmm. they do more work. So that's pretty much the, I mean, at this probably the butchered basic level of like that's biologically what's happening. Well, and I was thinking too, because I had read somewhere, man, it's been a while since I read it. So the, the actual figure I'll probably not get correct, but just for the sake of the example, there's so, it was something like, because of how cells regenerate in your body, right? Like they'll go through a cycle where new cells will replace old cells. Like that happens forever. And forever, yeah. It's, it's something like, every, I'll just say like four years, just because I can't remember what the exact thing, but it was like every four years, for example, you essentially have a 100% new cells than you did four years ago. So like you're yes. literally physiologically a, a brand new person, if you want to say that every four years. So like, yeah, if, dude. You, if you want to, yes. tra- like to, in order to keep those ones, like you could train that. And in that amount of time, like what you do in those four years, those new cells that are now showing up and they're like, oh, this is my job. I'm brand new here. What's, what am I supposed to do? Like you tell them that this is their job, but you get enough of them to do it by the time you're four years in and you have a hundred percent new cells. That's all they know. You know, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's like when you really think about it at that level, it's like, holy shit, we're like mutants. Like we can regenerate like the Wolverine, (laughs) you know, but I mean, that's that's literally what's happening. Like like, um, you know, in the in the FRC world, one of the, the phrases that's tossed around a lot is like when you get injured your number one thing you want to do first is guide the healing process. And that was something I had Mm. never thought of, or or even when I heard it, I was like, guide the healing process. What does that mean? Because when you get injured, regardless, if you're alive, regardless of what you do, that thing is going to heal. But how it heals is really what dictates what you're going to be able to do with that thing. You know, it's like, I mean, what would be a good example? I mean, anything like if you break a bone, right. And you're in a cast for a long time, when you get out of that, it's healed and you did nothing. You held your arm still for three months. That doesn't mean that now your, your elbow and that break and all the tissue around it is back to normal, right? If anything, it sucks. You may not even be able to straighten your elbow out when you get out of the cast, right? We, we got to do training to do that. So when it comes to an injury, whatever level you can move granted with a bone, I mean, you, you just, you got to let it stay still for a while, but with other stuff like soft tissue related injuries, the goal immediately is to find what, what level of movement can I do here? That's pain-free and whatever that is, you got to start doing it because if you do that, since the healing is going to happen, no matter what, if you're guiding that healing process, you're moving that tissue, you're essentially showing the cells what it needs to do. You're prioritizing the maintenance of that once you get to the point where you can start applying, you know, maybe minuscule amounts of load, you're, you're showing that damaged tissue, how it needs to turn into something that's more usable by the time that it heals. And that's something that is missing in many areas of training. You know, like when I, I crashed my motorcycle and I got a grade five tear in my AC joint and a grade three tear in my CC joint, uh, ligaments, um, I was told, you know, I need to wear a sling for 10 weeks and, don't take the sling off unless I'm sleeping and that's it. Like just stop moving for 10 weeks. And I was like, okay, uh, why, no. why would I want to do that? I'm going to move it. And so I'm like in the emergency room trying to do these shoulder cars, which looks like about this much movement that's pain free. And I can move my shoulder blade about that far without pain. And, um, you know, I chose to not have surgery, even though that was the best recommendation. Cause they said grade three high and higher, you should have surgery. So I, I don't do that. But in eight weeks, I was like, 
I can put my arm over my head and that doesn't hurt. I can lift light dumbbells overhead. And, and in like the amount of time that they said was 10 and a half weeks or so in the sling in that amount of time, I was back to like training with light weights and feeling pretty good, even though I still have this like structurally messed up area. It's fine. My right side is still stronger than my left side. So, I mean, that again was just that, damn, that's a really different approach, you know, like this rest until you're healing or don't rest, don't be stupid and make it hurt, but like move, which makes sense. Man, I was, I was watching, uh, I think it was like the planet earth, second planet earth series. Yeah. 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 I just had this epiphany one day. I was already into the FRC stuff, but like they're following the Siberian tiger and her cub. And she encounters a male who's not the father of the cub. So the male's trying to kill the cub and she defends it and almost dies in the process. So they have these game cameras kept seeing all this stuff. And at the end, I mean, she's got like broken ribs. She's covered in blood. She can barely, she's like dragging her back leg. And you're like, this poor thing's not going to make it. And you can see her like limp off with her cub. She did defend the cub amazingly. And then they said, you know, like, and then she wasn't seen again for three months. So all the people who are making the show, they're positive. This, this leopards died. And then like three months later, they catch her like 30 miles away. And, you know, I was like, yeah, of course, because she got, I mean, brutally injured, but there was no choice to sit around and wait to heal. Right. Like she's got to go find food. She's got to keep this cub safe. It makes sense that biologically in nature, there would be a mechanism where doing that thing that you need for survival is actually part of the thing that makes you heal better. Right. And I was like, it all makes sense now. (laughs) It's crazy. The resilience factor in in bodies in those situations. I mean, humans too, obviously, but like in nature is such a good example of it because of the fact we're like, there's no choice because it's a literal life or death thing. If you decide to just sit around with your injuries. Right. And there's a, there was, I think it was, it was Steven Ranella posted on the mediator account. It was maybe a month or so ago, but you know, as much as it sucks, it happens in, in the hunting world where sometimes a shot just isn't great. And like an animal gets, sure. away, but, but it doesn't die. Right. Like it can actually survive those things. And they had found like uh, a hunter had taken an elk and when they're processing it out or whatever, they had found in the shoulder blade of the elk a broadhead from another arrow that they estimated was like two or three years prior that he had been hit with it. And like the bone had like calcified around this broadhead and it was like embedded in, like they literally had to cut the bone to get this broadhead out of his shoulder. And he would like, I mean, like you think how freaking tough those animals are like 900 pound animal gets shot with an arrow and it doesn't go down and it just literally, and you're not, you know, that the thing's just not like waiting around for that bone to heal before it decides to get up and run again. You know, like, no, "No, I'm just going to keep doing this. I have no choice. Just exactly. Right. (laughs) I mean, I I just feel like in general, everybody should just follow the account. Nature is metal. So you can (laughs) see so good. What nature is like and like what it's like for us to be out of the food chain. Like, we just, you know, you roll your ankle, you can go sit on the couch and have your food delivered for like four weeks and be fine. Back in the day, you would have been walking on that damn ankle within 10 minutes. I guarantee like you would have figured it out <laughs> Maybe you running your ass to water <laughs> totally. And it would heal better because of that too. You know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. It's such a fun thing to think of too, when you talk about training and how we can make those adaptations as humans too, because I think that's like, there's a very timidness that a lot of people have for just doing hard things in general, but especially if there's even like the slightest amount of uncomfortable and like what some people would call pain. Right. And so I I remember I like one of the things that I, I say a lot and luckily my guys know what I mean when I say it. So it can't really be taken out of context, right? Like there's a difference between like being like something hurting and something that's an injury, Right. And most of us have like, we can, a lot of people can have that distinction in their mind. Like I always say, if it feels shady, it's probably shady. Right. Like (laughs) you just being hurt, like you just being sore or like something kind of creaking, like that doesn't mean an injury most of the time. Right. You know, like we can do things like just continue to move and, and adapt our training for that day or that week or whatever without having to like overhaul or not do anything because we're now worried about some sort of structural injury where where that's the difference. And so when you think about like these examples of, of nature where it's like, doesn't matter. Like I, I have to survive here. I'm just going to keep moving and running. And because I, I have to like, 
it kind of puts in perspective. You're like, I'm pretty soft most of the time. (laughs) Oh, dude. I mean, you know, like the time that we live in now is crazy. Like technology has allowed a level of comfort that clearly is causing lots of problems for people. If you really indulge in all of the things that are available. I mean, it's interesting to think about like from an evolutionary standpoint, like what, what does it take to, to adapt tissue? It takes force, it takes work, it takes stress. Like our biology requires some level of stress. When you take the stress away, it changes. And, and this is, I mean, going back to like the discomfort thing. Yeah. Like it's really common, especially people who haven't trained for a long time. Like that's a big barrier to entry is like, I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like feeling sweaty. I don't like my heart rate getting up. So, you know, I mean, I, I have this conversation a lot with new people that I get in because some people see me and they're like, I want to train with you, but I, I don't want to search or deadlift, you know, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do the you things do. you do. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I don't want you to do those things either. Like I just have this really little specific thing that I like, but this isn't what I do. Like I just train 90% of the people I train are regular people who just want to feel good and not have pain in their bodies. And so a big component of like explaining why they need to train and finding some happy medium of discomfort is just this is learning about what your body's doing all the time. Like that conservation of energy thing, right? Like the force of entropy is massive, not just in our own bodies, but in the universe, right? Like things are constantly changing and they're, they're going into chaos, right? They're falling apart. Like our bodies are doing the same thing. So even if you don't have desire to deadlift some crazy number, be super strong or do any of that stuff, your body needs some level of maintenance. Like every other thing in our lives needs maintenance. Like your car's got to have its oil changed. You got to paint your house. There's all this stuff, right? We know that this is happening, but for our bodies, we seem to have like, there's like an asterisk. They're like, my body's getting older. And this is just the normal thing of what happens. It's like, it's not, you can, you can guide this process. You just got to do the maintenance part. And like exercise is part of that. Taking care of your joints is a big part of it. You know, like I tell people, like, if you, if you don't do anything, just please go do cars because at least you'll maintain what you have and your joints won't start to fall apart because that's not what normally happens. If you move them and take care of them, it's just this, this maintenance thing. Like no matter what you're doing, if you make your back feel better because it hurt, if you stop doing those things that you did to make your back feel better for long enough, your back's not going to feel good at some point. It's going to go back to how it was. Like you have to just, until you're dead, you got to keep this maintenance up. The some level. <laughs> right. And the longevity piece, I think is what becomes more of a conversation for a lot of people. Uh, probably after, I don't know, like 30, you know, like when they're like, I, I got to start actually thinking in decades here with how I want to be able to move. Like if you're coming in at that age, but like a lot of times, you know, we're talking about like guys like our dads that, you know, my dad's in his early sixties and, uh, he's, he's like, I've never really trained. And it's so funny because, uh, he was like incredible athlete in when when he was younger, still has like, I mean, I never broke his long jump record in that he still holds 48 years later from the high school, which is, it's actually a very good record. But anyways, uh, he was like, he always says, you know, I'm, I've been an athlete. I work and he has a very active job. He works in agriculture and all this kind of stuff, but he doesn't, he hasn't like started weight training or doing any of that until I started coaching eight, okay. eight years ago or whatever. And so it had been 30 years. And like, uh, it's been, I was like, dad, it's been 30 years. Like, you know, yeah, you're active and you do stuff, but like there's, we're now at the point where we got to start doing some very specific things to build capacity for longevity purpose. Just so like you said, you're not hurting in 20 years, you know, and you could still like do these things you love. I don't know if you saw the, I just started watching it because I've been recommended to watch it for two months since it came out or whatever, but the Limitless series with Hemsworth. I just watched it. Dude. I just watched it. It's actually really cool. And like, it's cool to see. It was it's yes, cool outside of the, like, go, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, it's cool to see like the things that I have been into for years, like becoming such a mainstream thing like that show that millions yeah. more people are gonna see is pretty cool. Um, totally. There were some things I wish would have been done a little bit differently and better, but like, you can't really argue with the fact that like, hey, people are talking about ice baths and all these other things now. That, and sauna, yes. And saunas, yeah. all this stuff. It was pretty cool. So I, what did you like it when you watched it? I thought it was like overall, yeah, I felt the same way. I was like, this is awesome because this is going to go out to the masses. And I mean, you know, like 
what a better at who, who who could find a better advertisement than Chris Hemsworth doing stuff because he's funny and handsome and fit you know is like perfect. Of course, you know my my complaints are nitpicky. Like you can't can't they just make a show that's not so over dramatized? Like do we need all of the? It's just it's too much for me. But outside of that, it was great. My only complaint about it though is like they had such good information, but like what about the joint health component? They could have yeah, put yeah, some yeah. stuff in there about that. You know, like that was yeah. the only thing I felt like that's the only hole is that they're missing out on this component of joint health. Because going back to what you were saying about, you know, like the majority of the people that I work with are they're like in their 20s, 30s and then older, because that's right when that starts to happen. And and what I find with this is my experience too, like the people who train really, really hard through their teens and 20s, they find that happens earlier. Usually like they get into pain, their shoulders hurt, their backs hurt. They're like, I mean, just like my experience, like I'm training my ass off from like 15 to 28 and I've made really awesome progress. I'm strong. I'm able to do the things that I want, but like, why does my back get hurt every time I bend over and twist? Or why, why does my shoulder hurt so much when I'm training? Like I'm doing all of this exercise stuff. And then for people who aren't training, they usually find that a little bit later. Maybe it's in their thirties or forties, but like literally everybody starts to feel that and they're exercising, right? It's not just exercise. There needs to be more than that, right? Like there's the, of course, the recovery component, but there's also just that, that thing with entropy and, and how your body's prioritizing stuff. It's like, if you do pull-ups and you bench press and you know, you're doing, I don't know, classic shoulder exercises, like you are training your shoulder to be really good at those things but the more you do that and the less you give your body and brain information that you need your shoulder to be a human shoulder, the more it's going to prioritize being able to do that. And some of those human qualities of your shoulder are going to go away. I mean, that's what happened to me. That's what happens to everybody who trains long enough without tweaking that stuff to some degree. So it's, I guess it just, you know, it always comes down to the nuance of it. It's like, you need to be exercising, right. but if you just lift weights your whole life, you're going to have problems because of that. It needs to be more than that. There's going to be gaps. And, and, yeah. I, and that's where we got to make it. But the thing that was, I'd liked in the, I think it was the one where he had to do the rope climb that episode, yeah. which was, that was crazy. The a hundred foot rope climb dangling over a Canyon or whatever. Like, like you said, it's a very dramatic. I mean, that part it was, was cool. cool. Was, but, it was cool. Uh, but one of the things that they had talked about, which was, which was cool was like, kind of like what you had said that without addressing it, how you did was there's a lot more because people would look at, at Hemsworth and be like, Oh, he's going to live to be 120 just from looking at him. Right. But like he, and he said it in the thing, like he trained basically when he got hired to do Thor for the first time, he was 26 or something like that when he got the first movie. And he's like, from then on, he's like, my sole goal for training was to look like Thor. Like I had to look like a superhero, you know? Right. And so he, in doing that, there was all kinds of things like gaps that he had, uh, in his, in his strength and his fitness and his capacity. And he was learning a lot of that while doing the training for the rope climb. Like he didn't have, uh, like the hip flexor strength when he was talking about like pulling up the rope, when, it, when he started to get higher, that rope started to get heavier. He has to pick it up with his legs, like hip flexor strength wasn't there. And there's like all these little things that he's like, I've never done this type of stuff before. And like, that's kind of like, there's a well-rounded approach to doing it that helps you long term. Absolutely. And, and just, I think, you know, our, our perception is just so skewed as far as like, what's healthy, what's, what's desirable. Like what's, what's mostly desirable, at least in our country is like, if you got a six pack and some nice packs and like biceps that look like you lift weights, like you must be healthy. Yet right. we have all these people who are like shredded, they're super strong, their shoulders hurt. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I'm shocked at how many, even my own shoulder, like I could overhead press my body weight and like, if I tried to load my shoulder external rotators, like doing a isometric pushing down here, it was like pain, pain in my shoulder. It's like, right. obviously I've prioritized pressing over having this shoulder that has like capacity at the rotator cuff level, which I have zero, but it's, you know, the more people that I work with, the more I see that I'm like, dude, you got a 400 pound clean and jerk and no hip internal rotation. You can front squat 400 pounds and your hip is missing the probably the most important component of it being a hip. Like it's, we're just all, it's mm -hmm. all skewed, right. Of like right. what's healthy or like even, even Chris Hemsworth on that show talking about like the way he looks, how in shape he is poor dude can't sleep because he's so stressed out. Like yeah. that's a major 
component of being unhealthy, but he is like the model of health when you look at him. So, I mean, we just have, you know, you just, if there's, there's much more nuance to it than just being ripped or strong or any of those things, right? You got to have all that stuff. So we're, we're coming up on time here, but I want to, as we start to close out, I want to ask about like how, how you guys put stuff together at, for basis, right? Cause the whole yeah. thing is like, how do we, how do we do all of this stuff that we've talked about, Ugh. like, you know, together. So yeah. like, what is your thought process in how do we integrate this without it being like some, like, what do you mean I have to do all of this stuff? Like, there, like how do you combat like yeah. the overwhelming of we have, we have this and this and this and this and this and this. Like, how do you, totally. <laughs> because like you said, most people, 98% of the people you train are just like regular people who have a few hours a week. You know? Yeah, totally. Right. You just have to train six hours a day. It's fine. You're going to be a professional <laughs> right. athlete now. You're You'll not be fine. Hemsworth. You're not getting paid to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's such a good question because that's probably one of the most common things we get asked. And, uh, you know, bef- when we first talked on the podcast, we were doing like we had this gym that was basically we built around functional range conditioning. So FRC right. was this massive component of it, but we were, we were still doing a lot of traditional stuff like regular strength training. We do, we have kin stretch classes, which is FRC just put into a follow along class. We had heart rate monitored conditioning. And in the last year, what we've started transitioning to entirely is just following the internal strength model, which is this mm. FRC's approach to sure. training for strength or whatever physical, like I said, physical pursuit you want to do. Yeah. And it's still, it's, it's FRC training with traditional strength training, but you're sort of starting at the fundamental component of like human function, right? Mm -hmm. So like if we're going to do a leg day of training, we're going to start with maybe some hip fundamental movement stuff. Maybe you need joint capsule space. So this is the assessment is really helpful for that because we can look at like, does your hip not rotate at all? Okay, cool. We know before we need to worry about trying to get you a double body weight back squat, we need to work on getting a better hip. So we're going to train your hip in this session. We're going to work on that really deep tissue of the hip and target capsule space. And then maybe we'll do some knee work. And we kind of start at the deepest tissue and you just, you work your way out to the superficial stuff. So you still may squat in that session, of course, in a range of motion that's appropriate. So you're still training all of that stuff, but you're just, you're, you're sort of prioritizing the thing that you need the most. And you're trying to do the other stuff in the most minimal dose to elicit a response. So like, my own training, I mean, I still, I train strength like three days a week and I get like an hour, an hour and a half, which for me, that's the most minimal my strength training's ever been. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of stuff that I want to work on. And of course my body, like everybody's needs some, some specific things to work on to make it feel good. So a big part of this, if you're just comparing this to like regular training is just yeah. reducing the, the volume on the muscular work by a large amount. Like okay. instead of squatting five sets of whatever reps, we're going to do one set And depending on what level you're at, like if capsule space is your biggest priority, we're going to prioritize intensity building on that. And we're not going to prioritize intensity on squatting because your body only has so much energy available to adapt. Gotcha. So we're going to prioritize the thing you need the most and then do some kind of maintenance work on the squatting. And when you get the capsule space up, then if it's still squatting that you want to do, we're going to do one set to failure because that high intensity component is what triggers the response. So a lot of it is just there's still the same amount of training time. Yep. There's just a, a different allocation of where those resources are going. So when we train now, like our program that we have online, every session, there's four sessions a week, you're doing capsule work, you're doing connective tissue work, you're doing muscular work, and we're putting all that stuff together to make sure your nervous system understands how to use it all. And you're still training for an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. You're just not spending that hour and 15 minutes working up to five sets of five back squat. There's all this other stuff in there and much more minimal muscular work. So that's kind of the... And I imagine thousand foot. Yeah. And I imagine the recovery piece is actually a lot easier doing something like, I mean, I imagine people probably recovering better because there's so much attention paid to the joints and actually how they're moving throughout the actual sessions. Right. Totally. I mean, my, my experience with it personally and what, what, what everybody who's doing it says is it's a, it's a really different feeling when you're like, you're making improvements strength wise, right? Maybe you're, you're doing, you're getting hypertrophy from it. Cause that's the goal that you're training with. So we're, mm-hmm. we're targeting more hypertrophy stuff, but you're also putting in time to actually train your joints. So like to do more minimal work in the sense of just overall time involved, and you're seeing improvements in your joint range of motion and how your body just feels in general and getting those 
physical gains that you're looking for. And to have all those happen simultaneously is usually a really unfamiliar feeling. For me, it was like the more I push, push strength or hypertrophy, the more beat up I feel from training or like the less time I have to work on my cranky left shoulder. And so this really, I mean, it, it, it just helps you prioritize all of that stuff without having to like, well, now I got to lift for two hours. And tonight at some time when I'm watching Netflix, I got to find time to go work on my shoulder. It really eliminates all of that. Like, where does this stuff fit in? It's all just like the diff- main, the main approach is like, this is all strength training. I don't care if you're doing passive stretching, if you're training your shoulder rotation, you're bench pressing, you need all those qualities to be able to bench press well. So we're just going to train them all in each session. And it's all, it's all strength training because it's all going to further your goal towards getting stronger, or bigger muscles or whatever. Yeah. So it's, it's cool. I mean, for me, it's, you know, it's great because I have way less time to train and I'm still making progress. And it's like, cool. I'm not in the gym 15 hours a week. I'm training five hours of strength training a week or four hours a week or whatever. It's, and still That's having good. progress after, like you said, 25 years of training, you know, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I mean, I, I've like in the last year following this model, I've had, I've had more PRs and probably the, the six years before that on stuff that I was really stuck on. And like, and my body feels literally feels better than it did when I was like uh, in my late teens. Like when I was in my late teens, I was already starting to notice like, my left knee kind of hurts when I squat or like when I go downstairs, this doesn't feel good. My left shoulder like doesn't feel good when I lift really heavy overhead. And so to be at, you know, damn, I'm like five months away from 40 now. It's cool to feel really feel good physically and kind of have the freedom that I want to just train how I want and not have like, Oh, can't do that. My back's not going to like it. You know, that's awesome. So that's cool. Well, dude, Thanks, man. We're, we're at an hour. I appreciate you making time. It was good to catch you up, man. Yeah, man. Likewise. No, it's every time we do this, well, second time, but yeah. time flies, man. <laughs> know, it really does. <laughs> uh, before we head out, where, like, do all your plugs for, like, the online program oh, and everything. Thanks, uh, man. For everybody to follow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my Instagram handle's Strange Grayson. And uh, don't be misled, there's a picture of a dog wearing sunglasses because I refuse to change my profile picture. Um, but, <laughs> My, our program link is in my bio. The name of our gym is basis health and performance, New York. We have a monthly program up there. It's called our comprehensive program that follows the FRC internal strength model, but there's conditioning in there, heart rate monitor based and uh, kin stretch classes. We also have like one-off programs in there. It also has the link to our website if you want to see about what we do. And that's, that's, you know, all, all in the, on the interwebs. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate you. Likewise, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Mm-hmm.